Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I am Tracy V. Wilson. And today we're going back in the Wayback Machine to the advent of Christianity in Russia. Yeah. Which is kind of fascinating, and it's quite a ways back, and it's an interesting story, and it's, it centers around uh, Vladimir the First, who is sometimes called Vladimir the Great, and sometimes Vladimir the Red Sun, and sometimes Saint Vladimir, because he is credited with bringing Christianity to Russia. So Vladimir was born around 956, and his father was Fyatoslav the First, who was Grand Prince of Kiev, and at this point, Kiev was the capital of Kievan Rus, which was the first Eastern Slavic state. His mother, uh, according to legend, was actually a slave. Malusha, his grandmother Olga's housekeeper. Yeah, so there's some... um it would sound a little bit weird for uh, someone who's born to like the staff who was kind of slavery staff to be considered a royal. But uh, despite having a non-noble mother, as the natural son of Sviatoslav, Vladimir was still considered an heir. As a child, his grandmother Olga was a huge part of his life. Grand Prince Sviatoslav spent a great deal of time away from Kiev on campaigns. And because Olga had proved to be a capable regent when she ruled while he was a child, she filled in as the head of state and the head of the family. And Olga's involvement in Vladimir's early life is really noteworthy because she was a really early adopter of Greek Orthodox Christianity in Kiev and Rus. Uh, she had traveled to Constantinople to be baptized into the religion right around the, about the same time that Vladimir was born, uh, probably a little before, depending on which account you're reading. And that was really unusual at the time. There were not many people baptized into Christianity uh, living in Kiev and Rus then. It was primarily pagan. So, Grand Prince Sviatoslav died in 972. Before his death, he had divided up Kievan Rus among his three sons. So, Vladimir had two older brothers. Yeropolk was the oldest, and Oleg was the middle. Sviatoslav's death started just really a lot of infighting among the three brothers about who should be his successor. And at the time, Yeropolk was Prince of Kiev, and Vladimir was Prince of Novograd to the north. And Yeropolk has, is said to have been really ambitious and quite pushy. And those are traits that played out very clearly when he ousted Vladimir from his position in Novograd. So he perceived him as a threat and used his power to get rid of one of the potential um uh, people who would compete with him for the, the leadership of Kievan Rus. And so Vladimir fled uh, to Scandinavia with the plan to gather an army while he was away. Yeropolk also fought his brother Oleg of the Drevlians, and Oleg was killed in battle in 977. And in 979, Vladimir, who at that point would have been around 23 years old, returned to Russia with an army of his own and openly declared war on Yeropolk. Vladimir launched a siege on Kiev in 980. He duped Yeropolk into a negotiation meeting and then killed him while he was unprotected. So for all of that army raising, it was kind of just uh, wit and sneakery that got rid of the um, competition in that case. And so with Yeropolk out of the picture and Oleg already died in his dealings with Yeropolk, Vladimir I became the sole ruler of Kiev and Rus. 
So since he's often referred to as Saint Vladimir and he's associated with Christianity, it may come as a surprise to some people that once he took over as Grand Prince of Kiev, he made a conscious effort to embrace paganism and to bolster its presence in Kievan Rus. Vladimir is also characterized as being kind of brutal and bloodthirsty at this point in his life. And some of his early acts as Grand Prince uh, include he built a pagan temple in the capital, and he actually began thanking the gods for good fortune with human sacrifice. Uh, and some attribute his later shift to Christianity as having been catalyzed, actually, by uh, part of an early sacrifice where his chosen victim was a Christian and he came to view that victim who was a, a young boy and that victim's father uh, who was killed by an angry mob while he was trying to refuse to give up his son for a religion he didn't believe in uh, as kind of the thing that really got Vladimir thinking about the different aspects of religion and how different people view um, spirituality and, you know, two clearly very strongly held beliefs that were at odds with one another. And it some historians really pinpoint that moment as what catalyzed him to kind of become a little bit of a religious scholar and a religious analyst going forward. He also uh, had five wives and an alleged 800 concubines, which seems excessive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm presuming some of those people never even met him at that point. It right. was just kind of like a show of power. Well, and a show of wealth, too, because yeah. he would need to house and feed and exactly. clothe all of those concubines. And he also uh, was pretty popular at this point because he expanded Kiev and Rus's borders pretty significantly. So uh, he kind of really instituted the paganism thing, but he was doing a lot of... Um, really good things for the country in terms of expanding its power base. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, th- that was his early stage. He really kind of got in there and made some reforms really quickly and really kind of established his position. Having been exposed to different ideologies during his campaigns uh, and feeling pretty unsatisfied as a pagan, he's said to have started thinking about religion and faith more and more. And he also started to think about uniting all of the various factions within his rule under one religion. So once word spread that the Grand Prince was sort of shopping for a faith and really turning over concepts of spirituality and faith in his mind, uh, it's said that holy men from all over traveled to Kiev and Rus to kind of pitch their ideologies to Vladimir. Some histories suggest that he actually called them there, although he does have a, a different directive later where he does ask for information about religions. But others say that these people just kind of took the initiative to go tell him about their religion when they found out he was ready to hear about how other people worshipped. According to the Chronicle of Nestor, in 987, he gathered advisors and Kiev city elders. And uh, he had the following query. There have come to me Bulgarians who said, accept our religion. Then came the Germans, and they praised their religion. After them came the Jews, but after them came the Greeks, who spoke slightingly of all the other religions, but praised their own. They spoke much about the beginning of the universe and the existence of the whole world. They are cunning of speech and talk so pleasantly that it is a pleasure to hear them. They say that there is another world, and that if anyone enters into their faith, he would live after his death and would not die for eternity. But if he accepts any other faith, he would burn in the other world. Now, what counsel do you give me? What is your answer? 
And his advisors uh, gave a pretty interesting, I think, response, which is that they were like, hey, you know what? Everybody is going to say their religion is the best. Of course, you know, there will be those who uh, downplay the benefits or the validity of another religion, and they're all going to tell you that theirs is the one. Uh, and they said, you know, the only way you're really going to get a real sense of this is if you witness them. And so the elders suggested that he may make use of his resources and send, you know, trusted men to go visit the places where all of these faiths were practiced. And Vladimir thought this was a great plan. And so uh, he sent ambassadors out to all these religions and they worshipped with other people and saw their their behaviors and their rituals. And then they came and reported back to him. I feel like we should call this, are you there, God? It's me, Vladimir. <laughs> I, I also call it choosing my religion. <laughs> <laughs> so based on all these reports and the information that he gathered while listening to the holy men who came to Kiev, Grand Prince Vladimir I determined the following. Uh, Islam was too restrictive for Russians. Western Catholic Christianity had already been rejected by his ancestors and his research ambassadors found it lacking in beauty. Uh, he rejected Judaism as weak, having been of no benefit in helping the Jews keep their own territory. And Eastern Byzantine Christianity, also known as Eastern Orthodox Christianity, was really the most appealing to Vladimir. His envoys sang its praises when they came back, and they rather rhapsodically talked about the services that they attended. His advisors invoked his grandmother Olga's name when they were talking to him, saying, if the Greek religion were not the best, your wise grandmother would not have adopted it. However, even though at this point he seemed pretty convinced and he had settled on the Greek Orthodox religion, he didn't convert right away. He was kind of like, yeah, that's the best one. I'm going to come back to this. I got some other stuff to do. Uh, but his final, the final tipping point in his conversion actually happened during a military campaign in 988. It's possible that his pride kept him from asking for instruction on bat- baptism into the religion. So his next step was to march into Byzantine, the home of the Greek Orthodox religion, uh, and a friend of Kievan Rus, and take the city of Korsun. He then demanded a marriage to Byzantine emperors Basil II and Constantine VIII's sister, Anna, saying that he would attack Constantinople if they did not agree. And the marriage to Anna was approved, but on the condition that Grand Prince Vladimir would convert and be baptized prior to the wedding. So there have been some theorists that say, like, he kind of orchestrated this whole thing knowing that they would force him to be baptized, which he wanted to do anyway. So in kind of a magical case of, I was totally going to do that anyway, Vladimir agreed to this whole arrangement. Uh, several priests traveled with Anna to Korsun and t- to perform the baptism and the ceremony. And there is an additional mystical element linked to this event. Uh, allegedly, Vladimir had been having vision problems, and in the moment of his baptism, he was instantly cured of them, and it cemented his new faith. So Vladimir I returned to Kiev with his new Christian bride and a handful of priests, and immediately tore down the pagan temple and started instituting Christianity in his country. There's even a dramatic story of Vladimir ordering his men to drag a particular wooden statue to a river and beat it with rods in disdain for the devil and in punishment of him for seducing the people with false idolatry. And Vladimir decreed shortly thereafter that all of Russia must be baptized. And again, from the Chronicle of Nestor, 
Those who day after tomorrow do not appear on the bank of the river, rich or poor, will be considered as rebels and traitors. The day following, Vladimir, accompanied by priests, those of the Empress and those of Kherson, went to Dnieper, which there was gathered an innumerable crowd of men who entered into the water, some up to the neck, others only to the chest. The children stayed on the bank and were covered with water. Some plunged into the river. Others swam here and there while the priests read their prayers. And this formed a spectacle tremendously curious and beautiful to see. At last, when all of the people were baptized, each returned to his home. So that entry in the Chronicle is about the mass baptism at Kiev. However, in Novgorod and some of the other smaller cities, things really did not go nearly that smoothly. There was a lot of resistance to the baptism order. Military troops kept crowds in order and the baptism went on, but paganism was still practiced in secret in many areas for quite some time. And it, as an interesting aside, the date of the what's called, quote, the baptism of Russia is a matter of some debate. Uh, it's sometimes listed as September 1st of 988, sometimes of August 1st of that year. Other accounts list it as happening the following year in 989. And many versions have it taking place not just on one momentous day, but actually over the course of time as officials travel from one city to another. And apparently scholars are still kind of deeply debating this, and there has not been a consensus about it. So although Vladimir is most famous for converting Russia's official religion, he had many other achievements during the time that he ran the country. It's said that uh, his bloodthirst, which had been evident earlier in his time, had vanished and that he became a thoughtful politician. He fostered literacy in Russia and established schools where children from all walks of life were welcome to learn. Uh, and they primarily were taught about religion and trained for religious service. And allegedly, he even used some of the scholars that he had counted on when he was making his decisions about uh, transitioning Russia over to Christianity as teachers there at the school. So they were kids from all walks of life were getting an education from pretty highly educated men, which is pretty unusual at the time. He started multiple outreach programs for the poor, even establishing a tradition of delivering food to the needy. And he also held a feast every Sunday for Kiev citizens. And he's also said to have sown the seeds for religious art and architecture in Russia. So whenever you see that amazing Russian iconography that has become so famous, a lot of that can be traced back to the roots that Vladimir sowed. Vladimir's Christian wife, Anna, died in 1011. We should note that he did have other wives and lots and lots and lots of children. And then in 1024, Vladimir's two oldest sons, Sviatopolk Turovsky and Yaroslav of Novgorod, revolted against their father. Uh, Sviatopolk was put in prison and Vladimir made preparations to go to war with Yaroslav. But Vladimir actually died before battle ever began on July 15th of 1015 at the age of 59. And he had ruled at that point for 35 years and had completely changed Russian culture. Wow. Which is... Pretty astonishing. Uh, And it is very bizarre to me. I think what drew me to this particular subject is the reversal that he has, like that he kind of has this moment where he decides he needs to become a scholar and make a really informed decision about how to go forward and unite his country. And you don't hear about that happening all that often, where someone completely renounces their early way of life and changes their country and then does a lot of other good works in the process. Yeah. So it's pretty neat. I well, see why they call him St. Vladimir. Yeah. Well, and I was, uh, because you, you, you did the research legwork on this one. 
Um, and what really struck me was that sort of how tied to the Russian Orthodox religion, a lot of uh, what we think of as Russian culture still is. Like you see all that are really dramatic architecture, uh, really dramatic artwork. Yeah. Um, my dad tells a story about when he was in the army, having the duty of going to a, a Russian Orthodox funeral for uh, one of the people in his unit um, and just how really stunningly amazing it the whole like the church and the ceremony and the artwork and all of that stuff was just like sort of a, an assault on your senses of <laughs> just very dramatic uh very russian artwork and architecture and spirituality oh, cool. all together and it all has its roots here which is really neat I also have a little bit of mail. I normally ask you that, and I, I was busy listening. You were thinking about stamps. I was thinking about stamps. Uh, and we're going to the um, the real space mail today, because we have done a lot of email and Facebook stuff, but we continue to get wonderful postcards from people and letters. First, I'll go to a letter that we got from uh, our listener, Chaplain Rick. He is a U.S. Army chaplain who is stationed in Europe. So first, thank you for your service, Rick. Uh, and he shares with us some really interesting travels. He's gotten to do some really interesting things. Um, he has led retreats for soldiers in Rome, working in cooperation with the Vatican and staying at the Vatican priest house. He has really traveled all over. He drives around to do his work with different soldiers all over Europe. And so that's when he's listening to the podcast is when he's driving and um, taking care of his assignments, which is awesome. And he also sent us a beautiful um, magnet uh, with an image of Kess of Schloss Neuschwanstein, which I love. It's gorgeous. Uh, so thank you. And we also got uh, a beautiful postcard from our listener, Andrew, of the Canary Islands, which is where he is at. And he mentions uh, the really interesting Aboriginal history there. And it would make an excellent podcast topic. And it is absolutely beautiful. So thank you for that, Andrew. Uh, and then we also got a postcard from our listener, Christina, the traveler, who has been in Romania uh, for holiday. And she mentions that she uh, visited Bran Castle, which is most often associated with Dracula. And she says, did you know that the Bran Castle is not about Dracula, nor is it about <laughs> Vlad Trepsic? I'm so sorry. I probably mispronounced that. Uh, it's about Vlad's wife, Queen Marie. His castle that he spent more time at is on the other side of the mountains. Uh, but I still love Romania, she says. And she sent us a beautiful picture with a bunch of different uh, Romanian castles on it, including Bran. And uh, we've gotten so many postcards, and I'm hoping to work my way through those and also do um, another edition of Listen While, where we collate all of the different things people do while they listen to the podcast. Uh, so thank you to all of you for writing those. We, I love getting a gorgeous postcard, so I appreciate those a bunch. Uh, if you would like to write us, you may do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter at Missed in History and on Facebook.com slash History Class Stuff. Our Tumblr is at mistinhistory.tumblr.com, and we're also on Pinterest. If you would like to learn a little bit about uh, the topic we've discussed today or an angle of it, you can go to our website and type in the word religion in the search bar and you will get an interesting article called Is the Brain Hardwired for Religion? about humanity's need for spiritual order. Uh, you can research that and many other things at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 
Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Audible has more than 100,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash history to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.